Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, you know the Bible talks a lot about spiritual warfare. And today we're going to talk about your spiritual defenses. Let's go. Dateline. May 445 B.C. Jerusalem. They surveyed the surrounding wreckage with weeping and a deep sense of hopelessness. You know, the older men knew they didn't have enough strength anymore to make a difference, and the younger ones, who were usually ready for anything, just stared blankly. It was, wow. Nothing was left standing. Crumbled stone and brick was strewn everywhere in huge mounds. At the same time, Their neighbors hissed and mocked with seemingly surreal voices which rose and fell amid the din of the silent reality. A new scene. Dateline, same, May 445 B.C., but in Shushan. It was a beautiful day. The splendid courts of the palace were alive with brilliant colors, dazzling gardens in full bloom courtiers in festive gowns, and everywhere paintings, tapestries, and fountains dancing playfully with sparkling mist and bubbles. Melodious singing filled the air, and laughter seemed to play in the breeze. Here, in the court, Nehemiah was a trusted servant of King Artaxerxes I, who ruled the vast Medo-Persian Empire. The beloved capital of his people, Jerusalem, had been in ruins for some 70 years when the first group of faithful Jews returned to the land, and it was now about 92 years after that. Having learned that the wall of the city was still broken down and its gates burned with fire, he wept and mourned. In those days, a city without walls and gates was not governable. It was an open prey to any and all who chose to abuse it. Likewise, we as Christians need walls. No, not walls between one another, but walls of defense against the spiritual enemies we face. Without them, we too are easy prey. The world and or our sin nature has too much freedom to bother or bully or oppress. This idea of a physical wall building around a city is rather foreign to us because military weaponry today has made it obsolete. However, this isn't the case with the spiritual. So let's consider this well-known wall building story in Scripture and see what we can glean. You can go ahead and read the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, whose name means Jehovah has comforted, has long been considered by Bible scholars as a type or picture, both in name and action, of the Holy Spirit. And although this picture is evident in many ways, we're going to limit our consideration here to his main effort, building the wall around Jerusalem. Now, to begin with, it's interesting to note that those who were oppressing the inhabitants of the area weren't concerned about them until someone arrived who wanted to help them. 
Now, that's how it is in the spirit as well. You'll generally discover spiritual opposition when you demonstrate a desire to be separate from the world, so to speak. As long as you blend in, guess what? The opposition isn't concerned. Now, there's a couple other guys here that we need to talk about. Sanballat and Tobiah, antagonists who epitomize the opposition. And they're interesting pictures here as well. They vociferously challenge the wall building, knowing that it will end their corrupt domination. Sanballat's name means sin, or the moon god, has given life. As such, he's a clear representative of the sinful world and the lusts thereof. Tobiah, on the other hand, means goodness of Jehovah, hmm, and is a representation of the traitorous compromiser or compromising sin nature. Both these enemies, the ungodly world around us and our own sin natures, are menaces to our own wall building in the spirit. In Nehemiah chapters 2 through 6, we see that their tactics include seven things, and I'll mention each one briefly. First, accusation, Nehemiah 2.29. Just as they accused Nehemiah of rebelling against the king, a tactic that had worked before in Ezra chapter 4, we are often reminded of our own sin nature and rebellious failings as we seek to build. Next, mockery, Nehemiah 4.1 and 2. This is intended to belittle, to make us believe that we're not up to the task of building, to disbelieve the scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Next, doubts and degrading, Nehemiah 4.3. This is used to set us up to believe that our work in obedience to the Lord is worthless and meaningless which is absolutely not true. Next is anger, threatened attacks and confusion. Nehemiah 4, 7 and 8. This is for intimidation. However, we must remember that there's a big difference between what the enemies threaten or plan and what they can actually do. Always remember, our Father is on the throne. Next is fear. When our faith fails, Fear becomes an effective weapon. This is when we need to be reminded that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a strong mind. That's 1 Timothy 1.7. And also Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's Matthew 10.28. Well, next distractions. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 4. Now, this is a powerful strategy. If our enemy can just get us in a dialogue, whoa, remember, that's what happened to Eve. Next, lies and character assassination. Nehemiah 6, 5 through 9 and 10 through 13. These are saved until the end because they're the big guns, so to speak. By this point, the work of wall building is nearly complete, and this is used to focus attention upon the wall builder to accuse him of self-righteousness, self-promotion, 
to get people to believe that the motive and thus the character of the wall builder is suspect. Our motives must always be loving obedience to our Lord, never self-satisfaction or self-elevation. However, in submission to Nehemiah's guidance, the people who built displayed several things, and I'll cover them briefly. First, courage. Nehemiah 4.14, the Bible says, watch Stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, that all that you do be done with love. Next is guarding, Nehemiah 4.13. This is alertness. Next, readiness, Nehemiah 4.16-19. By laboring with weapons in hand, they were an example of diligence and preparedness. The Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are spiritual and that we are to be at the ready as well. Next, honesty and cooperation. See Nehemiah 4, 19 and 20. Truthfulness about our wall building, especially in prayer, is paramount. It can be a big task. As my pastor used to say, we're all projects. It doesn't help you to pretend you're together when you know you're not. Next, a mind to work. That's Nehemiah 4, 6. This picture is faith and perseverance. And lastly, clothed. Nehemiah 4.23. Clothed? Yes, this picture is putting full confidence in the robe of Christ's righteousness, wearing it and never putting it aside. As a consequence, the wall surrounding Jerusalem was completed in just 52 days. Remember, it had been more than 90 years waiting. Now, this is radical, for that is the exact time between Christ's death on the cross and the outpouring of his Spirit on Pentecost. That is, it's the period between when the veil or barrier between God and man was torn open and the separation or barrier between the redeemed and the world was made obvious through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Selah, that means think about it. Now, it's important to understand, as we're discussing wall building, that we are not talking about erecting some fortress mentality, individually or corporately, with respect to evangelism or our call to be salt and light in this world. Rather, we're dealing with the real and pragmatic need for spiritual defenses, even personal holiness. So, What do these walls represent? I'll suggest that they picture the strength or integrity of our mind or soul. You see, that's where the battles are really fought, aren't they? And the gates represent our reasoning, reckoning, and judgments. Entry points, so to speak. In fact, the Hebrew word for gate is derived from the verb meaning to reason, think, or reckon. David, in Psalms 51 after confessing his sin with Bathsheba, the failing of his character, prays, Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. And in Psalms 122 we read, Peace be within your walls. And reminded of of the scripture, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. 
It's Isaiah 26.3. So how then are my walls built? I know the Bible says to gird up the loins of your mind. 1 Peter 1.13. Practically, what does that mean? Hypnosis? Psychotherapy? Primal scream? No. To answer that, let's look at who built the wall with Nehemiah. Now, just like the number of days it took to build the wall, there are exactly 52 named individuals or groups who labored on the wall. Some commentators try to create some pretty exotic interpretations of this, and others are almost cynical in countering that there's nothing symbolic to be derived. Well, I'll tell you what I believe and you can decide for yourself. I've studied each individual and group and something consistent and powerful emerges. All of them have names that speak clearly of a condition or attitude of the redeemed. I won't cover them all. You can as you have opportunity, but let's look at a few representatives. Elishab, that means God restores. Zechur and the sons of Hassanah, combined to mean he's mindful that we are sons of Thorny, that is, sons of Adam, if you would. Jehoiada means Jehovah knows. Meshulam means friend. Melatia means Jehovah delivered. Jadon means thankful. Uziel means my strength is God. Hananiah means God has favored. Rephiah means healed of Jehovah. Jediah means praised of Jehovah. Malkiha means my king is Jehovah. Hashabiah and Bevel, or Bevi, combined to mean Jehovah has considered my goings. Azariah means Jehovah has ransomed. Zadok means righteous. And lastly, Shemaiah means heard by Jehovah. On it goes. Each one amplifies the unified chorus of the redeemed. And as such, I'll suggest that they pretty dramatically represent the attitudes that edify the saint individually and the church corporately. The scripture says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So, are you telling me that by adopting the attitude of the redeemed, by being, if you would, heavenly-minded, that I build my own walls of spiritual defense, that I'm sanctified, and I become a major threat to the enemy in my soul? Yes, sir. Okay, but... I feel like I'm in a continual building project. I get a wall up and then there's a breach to fill again. What's up? Well, breaches are the consequences of sin. In this life, our walls crumble because they're made of stone and brick, so to speak. They're earthly and imperfect. However, we must rebuild them in faith. Faith that believes the truths expressed in the names of Nehemiah's men and women, just like we read above. And as long as we're here, we'll continue a maintenance schedule, if you would, 
continue believing, really believing, that we are redeemed and forgiven. I don't mean believing because we prayed a specific prayer, said the right words, had the right attitude, or read the right scriptures. You know, that's all good. But we're not forgiven because Father God has to and therefore does so grudgingly. We're not forgiven because of some sort of legal technicality or loophole. But the enemies of our souls want us to believe exactly that. If they can't convince us that we're lost, they want us to believe our sins are bad enough to diminish God's love toward us, that the cross may atone for them. But, now, you may have carried some baggage around with you for quite some time, believing just that. You know, I did. You know your own earthiness. You know your own character flaws and failures. You know your own breaches and that you've been careless in guarding the gates at times. Oh, you know you're forgiven, but you subtly doubt you're still ravishing in God's sight, still loved as passionately. You know you're accepted, but doubt that you're welcomed in. Listen, friend, I want you to hear this. Please listen. You are accepted and forgiven in Christ. Because God loves you furiously, relentlessly, unabashedly, and inexhaustibly. Read Ephesians 1, 3-6 again, and believe it. And although your present walls do consist of stone and brick, you know, that's our present portion, God sees the end result, the walls of your new Jerusalem, Magnificent, clear, sparkling gems. They speak of your heavenly wall, your heavenly character. Huge, perfect pearls. They portray the endless covering of your grit by his grace. And final thought. Isaiah the prophet said that one day, quote, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. That's heavenly-mindedness, isn't it? Selah again. Think about it. Now, may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust Him. Look for our next podcast, and may you realize more of His grace today.